Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today I have Tyler Vela, the free thinker. We'll be talking about can Calvinism answer the problem of evil. So Tyler, um, what's up? How's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for thanks for having me on. Again. I'm good. I'm su I'm super excited for this conversation. Like we were talking off stream, like we have like the same shirt basically, and like yep. similar haircuts, and like this chemistry is just flowing today. Like so I'm I super mean, excited. I, I know. Are we gonna be best friends now? I think so. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you convert me to Calvinism, you know, then maybe so. <laughs> Well, I think, I think I think we got uh, I think earlier Eli and I got uh, Stellman away from from I think from Molinism. So I'll see, see what I can do. I'll see what I can do today. Look at you guys go. You're just conquering the world more or less. Um, but I'm super excited for today. Um, just looking at like Calvinism, the problem of evil, because especially like like online, you'll hear like, well, you know, if we accept Calvinism, like the problem of evil just gets really, really bad. And like, we don't have an answer to it. Um, so I figured, you know, we should talk to like someone that's like a Calvinist to kind of look at this. Um, so Tyler, do you just want to kind of introduce yourself and talk a little bit about like who you are, what you do and what got you interested in things such as this? Yeah. So, uh, so I host the Freed Thinker uh, podcast and, and blog. Um, and it's dedicated to really, it's kind of a, just a passion project where it deals with um, apologetics. Uh, I came out of uh, a naturalistic worldview as an unbeliever when I was uh, younger. So I deal with apologetics mostly around in and around kind of new atheism and atheism and skepticism. Um, but it also, in, you know, as, I, as I've worked through uh, my, my undergrad and now into my, in my master's in biblical studies, um, any research projects that are of interest to me, um, you know, I'll, I'll usually do my research papers as an episode or two or research projects. And um, so I've covered uh, a lot there. So I do that. Um, and I'm currently uh, working and living out here in sunny Southern California and enjoying the, the return of the, the post-COVID traffic, which is fun. Um, <laughs> two beautiful uh, little boys. And, uh, and yeah, so living the dream out here and, uh, and, and enjoy having these conversations. I'm obviously a, a Calvinist. I'm actually uh, from a, a Reformed Presbyterian uh, background and perspective. So that's, that's kind of where, uh, where I'm coming from. Um, yeah. So that's me. Yeah. It's super cool. And I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, so just begin to, let's just dive right in Tyler. Um, so like as a Calvinist, like how do you like think about the problem of evil? Like what's kind of like your general approach to like looking at it and answering it and kind of seeing what's going on? Yeah, it's a good, I mean, as we, as we talked about before, before the show, I mean, the, the, it's a hard question, not because necessarily any problem of evil is a hard question, but it's hard because it depends on what aspect you want to talk about. I mean, there there's kind mm -hmm. of uh, there's kind of apologetics uh, aspects to it. There's philosophical aspects to it. There's theological aspects to it. There's you know you could talk about it from from the Bible, and then you can talk about ministerially. You know how how you would talk to someone who's who's suffering or who has a, you know a question about suffering. So. Um, you know, thinking about the problem of evil, you know, and, and do you differentiate that from the problem of suffering? And what does that look like? And there's moral evil and natural evil. And so it's this, it's this huge, gigantic ball of wax or ball of string or some type of ball of all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and, and, to, and to start to unravel it, you really do need to say, okay, well, we're going to talk about this kind of in the mindset of say biblical theological or you know philosophical or you know we're, we're going to kind of stick to that maybe make some rabbit trails or bunny trails into these other ones but this is going to be like the primary the primary kind of discourse so I, I take it that the question can calvinism answer it we're not dealing with the apologetics question mm -hmm. uh, so so much although you know there may be some some application to that. I, I take it that we're dealing with the biblical theological question uh, about how does a Calvinist within our system 
understand evil and suffering kind of under, under that macro umbrella uh, of, uh, of a, a God of absolute sovereignty. Yeah, I think um, it'd be good to kind of look at both um, as, we, as we go. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think can, you know, depending on that framework or that, or that kind of umbrella that you want to think about, mm -hmm. that would be how I would start to, to answer those questions. Um, you know, there, there, there are a couple, there, there, there are a couple of things that are, that are unavoidable in these discussions. Um, and I think one of those is that, that I'm going to point out, and I think it comes up super regularly, um, is that a lot of times the disagreement, not between the atheists and the Christian, whether Calvinist or not Calvinist, the disagreement that's fueled is because certain people, when they, when they think about freedom, they think about it in what's called a libertarian or a, a libertarian incompatibilist view. They have a specific philosophical understanding of the relationship between God's sovereignty or determinism and human responsibility sufficient for, or sorry, human freedom sufficient for more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Because in philosophy, free will just is, it just is the control condition for moral responsibility, right? So, so it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the condition of, a, of, does the agent have control over their choice such that they have more responsibility? There's other conditions that, that go into moral responsibility. But the question mm -hmm. is, does something being determined, does someone being determined to choose something negate that control condition in such a way that they are no longer morally responsible. The incompatibilist is going to say yes. That that that's what they're that's what incompatibilism is. That that's that any determinism outside any determining cause outside of the agent themselves that leads to or that causally determines the agent to make the choice is incompatible with that agent having the proper type of control condition, the proper type of freedom to be morally responsible. Mm -hmm. A lot of times this cashes out in something like a principle of alternative possibilities. And you'll find that even people who I love to death, like Braxton Hunter and Tim Stratton and others who say, well, they don't necessarily affirm a principle of proper, uh, possible, a principle of alternative possibilities. When you press them far enough back into a corner, that's where they end up getting to. Um, mm -hmm. And so the 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 question the, the the issue for them often just is filtered through that lens, right? Mm -hmm. And so they that so when I when we start talking about these things, you know, it, about determine, you know, can God determine something, whatever it is, it just becomes well, if it's determined, then I'm not free. Mm -hmm. Okay, but that just is to presuppose incompatibilism. That's just to to beg the question of incompatibilism. That's the very disagreement we're having. Right. So so if I can show if I can show something, uh, you know, is 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 determined and free such that someone still is morally responsible, I can show that that in principle that's possible. Then I can show that incompatibilism is false because incompatibilism is a principled position that you cannot have something that's determined and free sufficient for more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Those are in principle contradictory things. And so. Once you take a principled position like that, even if it's true, it's very fragile because one exception will falsify it, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times what I find that I, that I have to do in these discussions about the problem of evil <laughs> to come from Calvinism is to say, okay, I think that I have warrant to just deny incompatibilism from the get-go, mm -hmm. right? 
because I think in the Bible we have enough examples where God has determined something, sufficiently determined something, causally brought something about by his will, which just is a person choosing something or doing something or that they're morally responsible for right so you have the brothers uh intending or willing uh to tell joseph into slavery god intended or willed it's the same verb it's not they intended it for evil and he turned it into good or he redeemed it for something better it's the same verb the, the same the same intentionality the brothers have for saving for, for throwing or selling joseph into slavery is the same verb it's the same action it's the same intentionality that god has they're, they're parallel tracks to the same action Right. So, but yeah, um, but yeah, we would say the brothers are responsible. Yeah. So, I think it'd be helpful at this point to kind of look at the. I'm just gonna mute you for a second, Tyler, because I heard a little bit of an echo. Um, love the Duncan, by the way. Um, great stuff. But um, so, let's just look at like just broad. Over, I'd love to get into this incompatibilism stuff in a second. Uh, but like just like broad strokes, like looking at like, well, why does God allow evil in the first place? Um, so like I will probably have some like biblical theological agreement where it's like. Um, we live in like a fallen world and this isn't God's plan in perfect plan in a sense of like, um, you know, uh, like God wants a perfect world and that's coming. But like this, the fall is part of this story. Um, like things like that. It's like, just like biblically, theologically speaking, like, um, how would you kind of answer the problem of evil? Um, and we'll get into the incompatibilism stuff in a minute. So, yeah. Yeah. So good question. Good clarification. So I would say that what, that however the, the incompatibilist wants to answer the moral problem of evil, right? Because there, there's there's soul building, uh, there's there's the evil uh, prevents um, greater greater evils, or it brings about greater goods. There, 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 there's all you know, or or there's there's certain goods that are only possible if certain evils exist, right? You can only have compassion and forgiveness and grace and mercy, right? You can only have these certain things if we live in a certain world that has that has sin in it right so um there there's all there there's all kinds of these morally sufficient reasons that philosophers say god might allow uh, for something to happen right mm -hmm. um the same thing happens when we're talking about natural evil right think about think about the natural evil a child dying of leukemia or a you know a higher animal like a primate or a dolphin dying in the wild after being attacked a horrible brutal death right you can't pin that on libertarian freedom Right. God has to. And you can't pin it on soul building. Right? You, you can't. It's hard to even understand. You know what? You know, natural evil is actually a particularly hard kind. But the non-Calvinist is going to say, OK, well, you know, if, if, if we even adopt something like skeptical theism and we understand that that we're not in a position to know God is creator, God is God is sovereign, God is great, God is good, you know, all these kinds of things. And we're not in a position to know that. All I need is that it's possible for God to have morally sufficient reasons uh, within within his good plan to allow that, right? Mm -hmm. The Calvinist can do the exact same thing, right? The Calvinist says, oh, well, all things are brought together by, you know, God decrees all things for his good and perfect purposes. Now, whether you want to use allowance language or decree language, the decree language really just is God has spoken this world into existence and not some other world right so so if you think of a world as a set of of of, of all the true propositions that obtain in that world right whether you're an open theist or a molinist or a calvinist or a mini catholic i don't care whatever you are all of us are going to say i mean even open theists say this all of them are going to say before god created he knew all of the possibilities right he knew all of the forking you know garden paths every single one of them right 
where we're going to start like breaking ourselves away from the open theist is, is you know, Orthodox Christians are going to say, God actualized this world that he intended, this one, not some other one. And so whether or not you want to use allowance language, the idea is that, that God decreed, he spoke, and this world, which just is the set of all true propositions for this world, leapt into existence. Now, some of those true facts come about by secondary means, they come about by providence, they come about later, they come about by conditions of free, you know, free moral agents, they come about by all these things. But God spoke into existence, he decreed this world. He decreed the world where, where you know, some, some specific child dies of leukemia at certain time T10, right? And not some other world where that didn't happen. So no matter, no matter, it seems to me that no matter what you want to say, we're all, as long as you want to stay orthodox within kind of your creational understanding within Christianity, there's this issue of God has declared that this is what's going to happen in the actual world. And whether or not what we understand what those morally sufficient reasons are, whether we think that for his glory, for his maximal glory, for his goodness, for our goodness, for grace, for soul building, whatever it is, Behind that is God decreeing his creation into existence. And we're told that, that you know, in, 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 uh, in multiple places, we're told, well, well God, God upholds all things, right? God upholds all things by the power of his word. That means anything that happens in this actual world, God is exerting his power to sustain it and uphold it. Now, there are some very emotionally challenging things to that the child dying of leukemia for that to happen if god withdrew his power would that child even still exist most orthodox christians are going to say no right in order for us to subsist god holds all things together god sustains all things god is the thing that keeps it all going and without god doing that we wouldn't even exist anymore Right. So um, so so no matter what your view is, I think a, a solid biblical understanding, again, not even talking about Calvinism yet. I think a solid biblical understanding kind of already sets the stage where a lot of the objections that come against Calvinism just are already gone by the wayside. Right. They're mm -hmm. they're 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 already something that, OK, if you're going to object to this in this way, you're not even objecting to Calvinism. You're just objecting to biblical Christianity at that point, right? Because I haven't gotten in anything like total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, right? I haven't gotten anything specifically Calvinistic, right? But these are the theological underpinnings um, that 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 a Calvinist is going to draw from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. So, uh, what I'd love to do now is just kind of talking about maybe just like looking at like some of the like the nice little like niche you can look at with like Calvinism in the problem of evil. Um, so we talked about like incompatibilism, like th this to me is like probably like one of the biggest things. Like, so like you talk about like soul building your things, like I don't see really an issue with like you, why you couldn't have those on Calvinism. Like I'm, I'm like, that makes sense to me. Um, and like Josh Rasmussen, who is not a Calvinist and all talks is like, yeah, you know, it's totally compatible with like a deterministic or like compatibilist view to have these things in um, his book with Felipe Leon. Um, so I'm not, I agree with you there. So the question comes like to me is like this incompatibilism where like, can we have um, this idea of choice be compatible with determinism? Um, right. So maybe I'll leave it with you, Tyler. Cause like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that, I think really the question is, 
it comes up with Calvinists because Calvinists just tend to be the the deterministic compatibilist of mm -hmm. Protestant evangelicalism, right? So, yeah. but really, I, I mean, there there are some applications that come up when we're talking about like you know unconditional election, for example, and 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 the problem of hell comes up. Well, if if God has determined the eternal destinies of all people, right? If 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 the Calvinist understanding of Romans nine, where God where God is the potter and has fashioned the clay, by the way, which I just have to say this because it's a pet peeve. Oh my gosh, no, that's not a reference to Jeremiah eighteen. No commentator <laughs> ever says that, right? Read your commentaries. It's actually a citation uh, from Isaiah uh, and from Sirach. So, uh, anyways, um, so but if the Calvinistic understanding uh, of that passage is true, and God is the potter and fashions people for their destinies right there there is potentially a problem that that arises well you know how does someone deserve hell mm -hmm. if they cannot resist his will to not believe right well what does mm -hmm. that sound like that sounds like the interlocutor in romans 9 right so you know a lot of us kind of point out the objections that calvinists get just kind of are precisely the objections that paul anticipates from his interlocutor which is interesting so um I'd love to I'd love to get into like the health thing in a second time, but specifically like in the beginning, because like a lot of Christians um that aren't Calvinists, like when we're thinking about like the problem of evil, we're gonna there's some sort of story with like human freedom. Like human freedom is like this intrinsically good thing, it's better to choose than be determined, um, things like that. And like like if Calvinism is true, like it, it seems like that's off the table with kind of like explaining the problem of evil, um, or like you know, like things like divine hiddenness, where it seems like human freedom maybe you know, people would like to say it plays a part in it. Um, so maybe on like that aspect first, like yeah. kind of looking at how you'd answer that. And then obviously the hell issue is a big one as well. Yeah. So let, let me answer those in reverse order. So I okay. actually don't think divine hiddenness is a thing um, mm -hmm. because, because Romans one tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right. So, so I always, uh, you know, th there is a certain level where I'm going to say, uh, you know, God, God may be distant, Right. But I don't actually think God is is hidden. Right. So so when when atheists like like Ben Watkins, who I love dearly, when when he says something like I, I'm a non-resistant non-believer, I'm just going to say, well, non-resistant non-believer just isn't a biblical category. The instant you say that you're saying, I just believe the Bible is false. OK, well, well, that just is the thing we're disagreeing about. Right. So um, so you can't just beg the question of that. Right. I think the Bible is very clear. Um, that 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 God is is not hidden, and that it's only in our sinfulness that 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 we actually seek to to hide from God. So really, it's it's like playing hide and seek, and the the person who's hiding saying, "Oh well, the seeker is so hidden from me." Um, that's just not how it works. So so I so I would just say I think the problem of of divine hiddenness in, in the logical sense not a problem. Existential sense I kind of get it, but not not in the logical sense. Going to uh, the the problem of uh, of uh, of you know of choice. Right. The, the way you phrased it even kind mm -hmm. of shows the point that I was trying to make earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. The question of if I'm determined, therefore, I don't have a choice. Right. That just is to say, if I assume incompatibilism is true and I'm determined, then I don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Right. On compatibilism, compatibilists don't deny that you have a choice. Compatibilism doesn't deny that you have free will, right? I'm going to say this for, for everyone listening. Calvinists and compatibilists don't deny that you have free will. Anyone who says that Calvinists deny that they have free will or Calvinists says they deny they have free will, they're either wrong or what they're doing is they're saying because libertarians mean this by free will, we're going to deny free will. But what they really mean is we deny libertarian incompatibilism, 
right? We deny mm -hmm. incompatibilist concepts of freedom, right? We don't deny creaturely concepts of freedom. We don't deny compatibilist concepts of freedom, right? So, so I would just, I, and, and again, what I would do is I'd say, okay, well, we can look at, we can look at tons of biblical examples for this, right? There's Joseph and his brothers, right? Um, there, there's, there's, uh, there's the question um, the, the specifically in Acts, right? It said, it talks about the crucifixion. Well, how did the, how was the crucifixion brought up? It says it was by the definite, you know, determinate plan and foreknowledge of God, right? That the, the determining plan of God brought about the crucifixion. And yet are, is anyone, it does the Bible also say that, that Pilate and the, and the, the and the Roman guards and, and the Jews weren't guilty for their, for their sin? Of course not. Right. It, it says Judas, was predestined <laughs> the son of perdition. Are any of you going to? You know, does the Bible seem to say that Judas is off the hook? That because you know whatever he you know he he because it was determined, therefore he wasn't free or he didn't make the choice that he did. No, he absolutely did the choice. The reason for this is in when when you talk about ability and you talk about can you talk about choosing. There are there are lots of different concepts. There's actually uh, if you read uh, something like um, uh, uh, Feinberg's uh, paper on this. Uh, uh, there, there's, I, I think he gives like seven different types of ability or something like that. But the two big mm -hmm. ones are categorical ability and conditional ability. So a lot of times what happens is the libertarian is going to want to say, well, we just have this natural intuition that we have libertarian freedom. And I'm going to say, well, no, 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 no. We have a natural in intuition that we're free, right? You can't smuggle in libertarian freedom because what they're doing is they're saying we have we have this natural intuition of categorical ability categorical ability is the ability of contradictory choice it's that even if all the facts were identical in the actual sequence and a possible sequence or alternative sequence i could have chosen either one even if all of my desires were same, all my wants were same, all of my beliefs were the same, every single thing was the same. I could have chosen, you know, murder or ice cream, one or the other. Like, what do I do today? I could murder someone, I could get ice cream. Well, all the facts being identical, I'm equally, I, I have the equal ability in the categorical sense to do those things, right? And we're not talking about the faculty, right? We're not talking about the faculty of choice. Um, we're, we're talking about the, 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 the real world metaphysical ability to do it, to bring it about mm -hmm. right? because the Calvinists don't even deny that you have the faculty of, to, to, to do either way. Right. I, I have, I, my, my arm has the faculty of doing this, right. I have, I have the, the, the faculty to lift my arm up or down the question of if I'm going to raise my arm up in the categorical sense is in the actual world and in the, the you know, the uh, an alternative sequence in the actual sequence, alternative sequence, I could have done both if my desires had all been the same. Mm -hmm. It's not just like my, I have this physical ability to do it. That's the categorical ability. It's, it's very, very similar to the principle of alternative possibilities, but it's the ability to choose those things, all things being equal. The conditional yeah. ability is I'm free so long as I'm doing the thing that I want to do, right? So, so if I want to raise my arm, I can do it. No one's forcing me to do it against my will. No one's, co I'm not, there's no coercion. There's no mind control. There's no gun. You know, no one's holding my family hostage in the other room telling me to do it, right? There's no suppression of my natural will, right? I'm not drugged, 
right? The, all those types of things, right? So as long as I as I am free to actualize what I want to do, then I'm, I'm I have conditional ability. I'm sufficiently free. And as long as I'm doing the thing that I want to do without those type of exterior pressures altering my will or suppressing my will or forcing my will, then I'm morally responsible because I'm doing the exact thing that I want to do, right? So, uh, so I think that when we talk about well, what what is what's our um, what's our intuition tell us? I think if we're being honest, it's going to be well, I'm free as long as I can do what I want, right? I don't think that the you know, the, the, the natural intuition. And, and there, by the way, there are lots of papers that have actually shown this out. There's meta studies that have shown this. the kind of folk intuition is not that, oh, well, I have this intuition that I have this weird metaphysical principle of alternative possibilities and kind of, you know, in this, in the alternative sequence events, I could have done other, like no one's intuition is that right. No one's intuition is libertarian incompatibilism. It seems to me that if we're being honest, our intuitions just are, I'm free as long as, you know, I'm not being coerced. I'm, not being, I'm free to do what I want to do. Like if, as long as I'm the one choosing what I want to do, then I'm free. Like, um, mm -hmm. so, so I, so I would, I would point, you know, those types of things out and to say, well, in, in the, the, those, that's what we see in the Bible. So the, the compatibilist isn't saying you don't have choice, qua choice, right? You, you have all these choices. It's just that the choice is determined the outcome is determined, but you are choosing, right, uh, as the means, you are the means by which the sovereign plan of God is played out. Your, your choice just is part of that sovereign plan. God God has decreed, right? So, so for example, for, you know, I, I think uh, you know, this is a common example, but, but if I'm going to be hungry or if I'm, if I'm hungry and, and God has decreed that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be nourished, well, then I eat the, the, that's through me eating something, right? The, the means of my being nourished is eating something. We don't say, well, because, because God decreed that I'd be nourished, so therefore I wasn't free in choosing to eat, right? Because those are the, he just chose those as the means by which I'd be nourished, right? So, so I think, um, sorry to interrupt Tyler. I just, no, yes. I have a thought. Um, so I'm thinking like, just thinking about like the way my, my day went. So at about like, let's say like at 2.45 today, I was working and writing my thesis and I wanted to watch um, a World Cup qualifying soccer game um, while I was doing my homework because, you know, I'm that kind of nerd, I guess. Um, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to watch. I was like, I wanted to, it was in between Norway versus uh, the Netherlands. I was like, I really like Erling Holland. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about because you probably don't follow soccer. Um, so I was in between that or I was thinking about watching France versus Bosnia because I, I like Mbappe. And I was like, and I chose to watch Norway versus um, the Netherlands. So in your worldview then, or like in this view of things, could have I... Could I could I have watched Bosnia versus France if I wanted to? Like, is that possible, or is that no? I, right. There's no possible world where I'm watching the other game. Right. So, so by the way, if, if if you want to watch a bunch of guys run around and not score for three hours, you can also go outside <laughs> the bar or something and watch. That. So, uh, but but the yes, in a conditional sense, you could if you had wanted to watch that, you could have watched that. Right. So, mm -hmm. but think about this. So again, I, I'm going to go back and I'm say, okay, let's, let's do just a little, a little bit of like basic Christian theology. Again, this isn't even Calvinism. Let's just do basic Christian theology. God's omniscient, right? Unless we're an open theist, God's omniscient. When he, when he created this world, he knew, foreknew, and I, here, I'm not even getting into simple foreknowledge. I'm not getting into prescience. I'm not getting into, you know, how, how he knows grounding objections, right? All that kind of stuff. Just, let's just, let's just put a pen in all that for now and say, God, God knew all of all of the 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 future the future facts uh, of, of free world decisions right when he, when he created this this specific world right so the question becomes 
at today, right? Let's let's call today when you chose what game you were going to watch. Let's call that T1. You mm-hmm. chose to watch the specific game you chose to watch, right? God for from before he created this, before he before before he created this world, he knew that you were going to choose that. Now, Christian Orthodoxy, can God be wrong? Are you asking me? Yeah. Well, of course I'd say no, God can't be wrong. Right. No, God can't. It's not even, it's not even a possible, it's not a possible world where God could be wrong. Right? It is not possible for God to be wrong. Right? Now think about categorical ability. In the actual sequence of events, could you have categorically in the actual world have done other than the thing that God knew you would do? If you say no, you're a determinist. Sorry, just flat out. You're you're some type of compatibilist. It's fine. Welcome aboard. (laughs) If you say yes, what you've just said is it's metaphysically possible that you could have falsified God's knowledge, which means it's metaphysically possible that God could be wrong, right? That also has another bizarre entailment, which is that even if God is never wrong, even if he's right 100% of the time, if it's metaphysically possible that at every choice we would choose something other than what God would know, that just is categorically different use of the word categorical, but that just is categorically something God couldn't know because it just is something that God wouldn't know. Right. So, so you can't, you don't know the things that you don't know. Right. I mean, we literally say that you don't know what you don't know. Right? So, so if you could choose and fall, it's something other than God knows God couldn't know the instances that you would ever do that, mm-hmm. which means that, that God categorically can't know that he knows, which means that every time you make a choice, God is literally learning that his foreknowledge was correct. So again, even if he's right 100% of the time, he still is learning that his foreknowledge was right 100% of the time, which still means you've denied omniscience. Right. So so this is this is why kind of like cracking open the can of of libertarian freedom and starting to try to push these things in and say, okay, well, what's compatible with just again, this isn't even a Calvinist thing. This is just basic Christian orthodoxy. Right. Once you kind of start cracking that can open, all the worms start coming out and you start saying, okay, well, it just seems that if I can choose other than what I choose. Right. Then it's possible that God could be wrong now. All the Molinists are losing so, their minds. Listening to this. <laughs> so let's. I, well, well, let me let me finish this one thought. Okay, because yeah, go for they're it. They're going to say, "Well, God's knowledge and His choice are on what you would do or what you will do." Right. So, but I but I want to press on that for a second. So they're going to say, "Well, God's knowledge, right? God God can know it because it's what you will do, and if you choose something else, God's knowledge would have been different." Right. But think about that for a second. That means prior to creation, you have libertarian freedom. God foreknew that you would libertarianly choose that. But now God actualizes this specific world and not any other world. So now at that moment of decision, 
in the actual sequence of events when you're choosing, do you have libertarian freedom? Right, because they want to close the door to that you could choose other than what God would know, because they want to avoid this omniscience problem. Right. But the issue that now raises is now in the potential sequence of events, you have libertarian freedom. But in the actual sequence of events, you're determined. Mm -hmm. Right. But God's foreknowledge was of what you would libertarianly choose in the actual sequence events back in the potential sequence of events. So now you have that your what God foreknew as a libertarian choice actually isn't a libertarian choice which just obviously is a contradiction. So you, you, there's, there's so many problems that start arising when you start really pushing into what libertarianism is. And, and I know you have a follow-up question, but uh, I, I want to get back to the problem of evil. So remind me, and, and, I'll, and I'll talk about why I think libertarian freedom is also just a bad response to the problem of evil, which again adds warrant to these other uh, compatibilistic answers. Mm -hmm. So what I'd love to do now is kind of just give you like my thoughts on this and let you respond. And then I'd love to get into the problem of like, especially like the problem of like hell with regards to like um, potentially like a Calvinistic view. Um, so like, like the way I think of these things, Tyler, is like, so I believe like I have, I believe in God's foreknowledge, obviously his infallible foreknowledge. And then I also have this like intuitive sense of like this human freedom and like, I don't know exactly like how much that entails, but I'm like, it's got to be there some degree. Like I, I could have watched the other game. Um, and I think like for like unbelievers, like I'm not a fan of total depravity, da, 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 but we don't have to, this isn't about me. It's about what you yeah. think. But like for the sake of it, I'm like, how does that work? I don't really know. Like I'm okay. But then like we ask, well, God is three persons, um, but he's also one. How do we know that? Like, well, we don't really know. We just kind of say it's not a contradiction. Um, how does like Jesus become fully God and fully man? Well, it's not a contradiction, but you know, we don't know. And it's like, to me, like, this foreknowledge and freedom problem, like I kind of see it in like that category of like these, these mysteries in Christian orthodoxy where we have these like commitments and they don't seem to be like a two plus two equals five contradiction, but there's something right. going on here. And like my friend, Mike DeVito wrote a paper on this kind of illustrating this kind of idea. So I like, I, I don't know, like that's at least for me, that's kind of how I think about this. So I'll let you respond. And then I'd love to kind of get into um, the problem of hell and stuff. Yeah. So, so I don't have a problem at a certain level with appeals to mystery, right. Or appeals to intimacy. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I'm fine with it. I think we all do it, especially when we start getting into why would God do X or why would God, yeah. allow, right? I, unless God revealed to me why he does something. I mean, we could have some like, we could have some theological guesses. We can do a little bit of biblical spade work, maybe get kind of what I call an answer in the right direction. Um, mm -hmm. but, but asking, you know, substantively, why did God allow this specific thing? I, I mean, I don't know for his plan and purpose. That's, that's all I got. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, and, and and I agree with you. There's certain there's certain things we say. Okay, well, in the Bible, God God is God is one being and three persons, right? That's not a contradiction. That's not two plus two is five. That's not that's not you know X and not X, right? Mm -hmm. I have so many questions about how that works. I have no mm -hmm. idea. Um, you know, I, again, we can understand some things. I think the development of like the understanding of the hypostatic union was helpful. Um, you know, I think there's some certain certain features in classical theology that are helpful. Um, I think there's certain understandings where we say, okay, well, we actually, it's better to understand the diversity in the Godhead in light of the unity rather than the unity in light of the diversity, right? You seem to avoid more conflicts doing that, right? So I, I think there are certain things we can say about it, but at the end of the day, I'm fine saying, okay, well, how does it all work out? I, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. I do the same thing. I agree with you that to a certain respect, it's okay to say, well, at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a mystery. I don't have to have all of the corners ironed out. And that's okay. 
right? But that's that's what I'm going to go back to the biblical text and say, okay, but we do have examples where God has determined something, and yet the person is 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 sufficiently free and morally responsible, right? It seems to me when I read Romans nine, for example. That when when you just do a plain read, and I did an episode that was a plain reading where I'm saying I'm not even going to do any theologizing. We're just gonna we're just gonna look through, kind of do a discourse analysis of the flow of this without with. I'm not trying to answer any theological questions. I'm not trying to all that kind of stuff. What happens? It seems to me that what happens, what what pops out is the objections that arise just are the objections of libertarian incompatibilism. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, is if God chose and, and, and it wasn't based on, on our, what we did, how is that fair? Right. That's nine fourteen. And then if, if Pharaoh, if, if Pharaoh couldn't resist God's will, if God, if God determined that Pharaoh was, was going to harden his heart and he was going to, he was going to not let the Jews go and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. If, 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 if we can't resist God's will, why does he still find fault? Right. That, that just is the incompatible question. How am I still morally responsible if I cannot resist the will of God, if I can't do otherwise? How am I morally responsible such that God still finds me at fault? That just seems to me to be the, the incompatibilist objection. Right. So so I so, again, I'm just talking about things that add war biblical warrant to me saying, OK, well, it just seems to me that the biblical view just is some type of compatibilism, some type of. God is is the one who sustains and upholds all things by the word of his power. God is the creator. He created this world, not some other world. He knows all things. He actualizes all things. He's the ground of all being. He's, he can determine all, all things, including evil actions, including, by the way, the you know, when some of you are like, oh, well, did God decree that, you know, child abuse, right? Isn't that evil? I'm going to say, okay, well, that emotionally works. But the most evil thing to ever happen was the deicide of the son of God, right? The crucifixion. And we're told explicitly that that is by God's determinate plan. And yet we hold those people morally responsible for it. We think they did it freely and morally responsible, even though it's determined, right? So, and I think that that says more about our hearts that we're more disgusted by the abuse of a child, which we should be disgusted by, but we're kind of flipping about the cross, right? We, we don't, we're not disgusted by that in the same way. That, that, I think that says more about our hearts than anything else. Right. So I'm going to say, well, I, I think we have all these biblical, there's all this biblical warrant to hold this view. And if that biblical warrant holds, then incompatibilism just has to be false. Right. Mm-hmm. It can't because it's that principled position that you cannot have something determined and free. But if we see in the Bible something that's determined and free, well, that principle is just false. Right. Going back more to the problem of evil, though. I'm also going to say, because sometimes I think, well, adding warrant, right? We can we can have additional warrant for something, not only if we have a good case for something, but if we start finding that all the other views are implausible, right? I, I think I think being able to kind of tick other views off, not tick them off like make, maybe like tick them off the list is like fail, 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 fail. Yeah. Um, every time we can do that, we get a little bit more warrant because because our view gets a, a little bit more of the market share of the answer, right? I'm okay with that, right? It's not a strong kind of warrant, but it still is there. And what I found is, I, I know that the the free will defense is wildly popular among apologists. I just find it so unconvincing for so many reasons. And I don't mean to like arm the unbelievers or anything like that, but we should have better arguments. The main problem that I have for it is that I don't think free will actually even explains evil or suffering right? Action does, 
right? So, so in philosophy of action, we have we have this we have this distinction between the freedom of the will and the power of outcome, right? Or the power of action, right? So let's imagine that I had a gun and I was really angry with you and I pointed at you and I wanted to kill you. I choose to kill you. I make the free choice to kill you and to pull the trigger. But the gun jams and you don't die, right? That's because my choice doesn't always have the intrinsic ability to bring about the outcome that I desire, right? It seems to me that the problem of evil and suffering is a question about outcome. It's not a question about choice, right? So, so the question about suffering is not, uh, the question of evil is not, well, why, why did the abuser choose to abuse? It's a question of outcome. Why was the child abused? Right? So, so it seems to me that, well, if we really want to push the, well, God, you know, God doesn't, okay, let me, let me back up one step. People are going to say, oh, well, on Calvinism, it makes God eval, right? God, God ordained that to happen. Wouldn't that, doesn't that make God evil? Well, I'm going to say, well, I, I mean, he ordained it for his plans, purposes, all, works all things together for the good of those who love him. There's all these morally sufficient reasons, all this kind of stuff. Think about the alternative. It's not part of God's will. He doesn't want it. He didn't decree it. Doesn't have morally sufficient reasons for it. He's just, you know, it, 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 he could stop it, but he doesn't stop it. He just allows it. But why does he allow it? To uphold freedom. Whose freedom? The, the abuser's freedom? What about the freedom from the victim? Right? So it just seems to me that, that, that placing freedom as the answer for that not only is insufficient because it doesn't actually explain the outcome, but it also doesn't seem to be a sufficient reason why God would allow the outcome over, it, it doesn't do anything better. It seems to actually make it kind of worse, right, to that degree. Because you could say, okay, well, you know, maybe God God wants a law-abiding universe, right? And and and, mm -hmm. and you have the problem of if, if God intervened in every single action to stop sin, then we wouldn't have this, you know, this, this uh, law-abiding universe. Well, nonsense. Right. I mean, I, I could think of a law that every single time someone uses a blunt object, gun, knife, bat, whatever it is, to inflict harm on somebody else with malintent, it always turns into a marshmallow. A hundred percent of the time, it will always turn into a marshmallow and not inflict the suffering that it does. Right. Could God have done that? Yes. Would that have upheld libertarian freedom? Yes. So libertarian freedom then is not the sufficient answer to why there is evil and suffering in the actual world. Right? There has to be something else. And whatever that something else is, is just as accessible to the Calvinists as to the non-Calvinists. Because the only thing we disagree on at that point just is that libertarian freedom. That is the point of disagreement. So if that point of disagreement isn't the sufficient answer, then we're all on the same page on the type of answer that should be sufficient. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm tracking with you. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of things we could talk about, yeah. um, but we'll leave it there. I'd love to talk about like this problem of like hell and stuff. Yeah. Cause at least for me, like when I think about like Calvinism, this is something that really um, bothers me or like, I, I just, I'm trying to, I, I really struggle to understand it. Um, and so you have this problem of, well, we, I start with one, well, we have this perfect God, right? Um, I feel like, you know, like Calvinists, Arminius, like whoever you open the, like whoever you are, you're going to agree like God is perfect, morally perfect, all these things. Right. Um, but it seems like given Calvinism, you're going to have like unbelievers, like thinking about like my friends or my family or people I know. And like, it seems like to me, like given Calvinism, the only reason they're not unbelievers is because God didn't elect them. Um, and, you know, they remain unbelievers. They're going to go to hell, whether it's like eternal torment or annihilation. And like, why? Well, because God didn't elect them. Like, 
and it, like you, but, but what? But and I get to this part where it's like well, we have a perfect God, and mm-hmm. it's like well, why would a perfect God um, just not elect these people? Like it's really be better for them to be like chosen than not chosen if Calvinism is true. Um, so I don't know. I just it's one of these things I struggle to see. So I'd love. It. I'm sure you have some light, and you can just destroy everything I just said. Um, so, no, I, I mean, but, I, yeah. it's, no, I mean, I, I think it's a natural impulse. Mm-hmm. Here, you know, I, I have a lot of thoughts on things like this. My my first one is that, you know, when when you're building a building, right, and you use a, a level, right, if your level is off a fraction of a degree, when you only go out a couple inches, you won't really notice, right. When you go out for the entire building, if you if you haven't fixed that little fraction of a degree, you're going to have a tilting building, and you're going to have a building that's structurally unsound, mm-hmm. right. That's analogous, I think, to there is a certain assumption that you say, I don't know if you actually assume this, but there's a certain way that it's stated that I think tilts it a little bit when you state it, but as you start to draw these things out, it gets bigger and bigger. And that is when we say something like God is morally perfect. I nodded in agreement because I, I, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I would never say God is morally perfect. The mm-hmm. reason for that is because I don't think God is moral. Right. I don't think the the Bible describes God as moral. Right. Think about what it means to be moral. Moral means that you are that you are obliged and abide by obligations and rules and laws upon yourself by a rightful authority. God is not moral. God has no moral obligations. God is righteous. Right. Those are two different things. Right. So I think a lot of times what happens in these discussions is, well, Calvinists do this too, by the way, lots of people do it. It's, it's because we're, we're so, we're so used to thinking kind of in our, in our horizontal uh, terms, right? The, the, the proper term for this is actually the creator creature distinction. We blur the creator and the creature such that we think of the creator in creaturely ways. Right. And so we think about, well, how, you know, God, surely God has these moral obligations to us. Well, no, <laughs> right? I, I, obligations put on him by what? By who, right? No, no, God God is righteous, God is just. So if, if God has decreed something, uh, if God has determined something for his good and righteous purposes, that just is good and righteous and just, right? So so that th- that is a, th- I, I know that's a kind of a hard thing for some people to, to, to accept, but I think that's the thoroughly biblical view. So in your view then, Tyler, sorry to interrupt, like, could God like, just like, so we have this picture of heaven, but like, if God, you know, if if it's all here, like, could there just be a bunch of Holocaust in heaven? And that's what God decreed. And, you know, like there's the creator creature distinction and, you know, God's ways are higher. Like, I don't know. I really hope I didn't misrepresent. No, no, no. I understand understand the objection. I understand where it comes from here. Here's, Mm -hmm. here's the problem though. Okay. We already have this idea of the Holocaust is bad. Right, because mm-hmm. God has already told us it's like based on based on God's own nature, we understand that the obligation is that it's bad, right? It are we we just already understand that it's a sinful thing, right? So so the question becomes, uh, kind of this this impossible counterfactual, right? Because you remember the Calvinist is still going to say God is immutable, God is perfect, God you know God God is omnirational, right? All these kind of things. So what the question actually says is. Can God make a sinful, not sinful thing? Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I would just say that type of question, while I understand that, why that's a natural reaction, 
I'm not sure it's a meaningful question because we're all in, in the question, you're already kind of front loading. We agree that this thing is evil. Well, the only reason we agree it's evil is because God's nature has already said that it's evil. Right. So you, what you're saying is, can God's nature say that it's evil and God's nature also say that it's not evil? Well, no. Right. So in the same way, you know, God, God has established what a square is. So then saying, well, well, can you know, because because God's omnirational is the creator of all things, can can God make a square circle? No, he can't. I, I mean, I, I don't think mm -hmm. any of us think omnipotence means God can do any schmibbleish work, right? Because he can't do anything. That's not a schmibbleish work. It's not a thing. A square circle is not a thing. A good Holocaust, not a thing. Um, so, so my answer is going to be no. But that's precisely because God is God is God is holy and righteous and 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 and, and unchanging, right? So, mm -hmm. so I'm going to push back and say no. But coming back to the problem of hell, right? So, um. I think that there's a little bit of a causal collapse in your question also, right? So, so when you said, well, it seems to me the only reason these people go to hell is because God hasn't elected them, mm -hmm. right? Well, no, the reason why they go to hell is because they, they hate, they, they hate God, right? Now, is it determined that they got sure, but that, but, but that's what they want. That, that there's a desire. Now is the, the desire determined? Sure. Just like God determined my hair to be brown and my nature to be whatever, right? Think, think about what it says to say, we should have this nature that's autonomous of our creator, right? I should have control over my nature and who I am and what my desires are and what my personality is like, autonomous from God determining and creating me. Well, I'm just going to say, I think that's wildly unbiblical. No, God, God created me. He knit me together in my mother's room, right? God, God is my creator as I am. And just as God determined what my what my hair color would be and my genetics would be, He determined my my personality would be and what my what my context would be and and what what influences would impact my personality, my desires, and all that kind. Of, I mean, God, God is the creator and sustainer of all things, right? So, it's just not the case that the causal condition for it just is just is like God hasn't elected someone, mm -hmm. right? I'm listening. I just need to charge that. I'm totally listening. Sorry, yeah, Taylor. Yeah. And and I would go back again. I, I not to not to you know do the, the cage stage thing and go back to Romans nine again, but here I would just say I think that as as this this is where kind of like I think that we can give certain answers, right? I, I think I think that I can give certain answers. Well, you know, it says that you know God raised Pharaoh up for this purpose. That's why He created him to be able to judge him and destroy him and destroy his armies, right? That's 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 the purpose why god made pharaoh if we're told it explicitly right there's actually a couple of these there, there's the there's the king of hebron right there's a, there's actually a couple of these passages a lot of people focus on pharaoh because it's just it occupies such a big important part of a narrative but there's actually a few of these times that this happens where where god says the reason why this person does this or the reason why this person is here or the reason why i created this is for them to be destroyed right mm -hmm is for them to be judged, is for them to be conquered, is for them to be over. That's why I created them. That's their purpose, right? It seems to me that, that Pharaoh, right, if God raised him up for the purpose of destroying him to rescue his people, that just is to say my purpose in, in raising him up was, was to condemn him, right? So, so if you're going to say, well, not you, just a, kind of a general you. Mm -hmm. If the objection is, well, a good and loving God couldn't predestine someone for condemnation and judgment. 
I'm just going to go back and say, well, the Bible says otherwise, right? We have lots of examples of it, right? So, so I, again, I have, I have this warrant for why that's the case. And it seems to me that the only reason why I would think otherwise is if I was already assuming some type of libertarian incompatibilism um, and, and, and some, you know, I, if I already had these assumptions about um, th these, these causal conditions that a good being can't determine, uh, you know, other free agents, if they're in the right creature, creator, creature distinction or, or, you know, situation, right. If I already have these certain assumptions, then maybe I can get there, but I'm just saying, well, I don't hold those assumptions. Right. So, so the incompatibilist, the, the you know, the non would actually have to come and not only prove their argument, but now they have to approve their assumptions that undergird those arguments. Because they can't so, assume yeah. it, otherwise they're begging the question. So just very briefly, like, is your view on how are you, would you want to like eternal conscious torment, annihilationism, or are you kind of agnostic? I'm guessing you're not a universalist. Um, not a universalist. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I am, I, I somewhat agree with Tim Keller on this. Tim Keller has a, you know, a, a he can be a little mystic sometimes. I, I understand. I sometimes think he, he gives this line where he says, Oh, you know, all, all the stuff about hell and eternal conference torment and gnashing of teeth and darkness, all it's 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 all it's all allegory, right? None mm -hmm. of that's literal, right? Right. So I mean in one sense I'm gonna say, well, I mean, I I, I don't I don't believe in like a classical eternal conscious torment. Mm -hmm. I think that it's much worse. So I because allegories don't do justice to what the reality is. Okay. I don't want to get too much into hell. But, I just, yeah, so, so you're, you're not you're not a conditionalist then. I'm not a conditional. I, I'm not okay. a conditionalist, right? But for multiple reasons, I'm not a conditional. But but I'm also not one of those people that's like, like like Chris Day is a dear brother, like he mm -hmm. uh, brother in the Lord. I love him, I love him to death. I'm not one of those people that's like, conditionalism is heresy. And all that <laughs> I I think it's heterodox. But you know, I hold I hold some heterodox views on like Genesis mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that, and so. I don't think that that kicks them out of the kingdom or out of orthodoxy. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, that's good. I just, yeah, I wanted to, because I was trying to think about, well, my chair just broke. I'm so sorry. I guess that's what God determined. Um, but <laughs> so I guess, so I'm thinking about this, um, just going back to like unbelievers and, and whatnot. So it seems like the fate of the unbeliever then, like in this view, is going to be some sort of like eternal um, separation. That's not good. It's definitely not ideal. And it's like, well, why are they separate? Well, they hate God. Well, why do they hate God? Well, it seems like, God wanted them to hate or his will was for them to hate God. Like, and to me, like comparing that with like a, the God of the Bible that I think of, like in the incarnation of the cross and like a perfect being, like that just doesn't seem like something a perfect being would do. And maybe it's just my intuitions are just way out of line or something. But like, I don't know. I just have this intuition that like, that if there is this God who's like morally perfect, who is, um, morality itself or what, I, like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not good with classical theism. Like whatever that it means, like, I don't know. I just, I have this intuition, like, that's not how he would do it. Um, so is my, I guess my intuition is just wrong then, do you think? I would, I mean, part, I think intuitions can be wrong, right? I, mm -hmm. I think part of what, what's being a student of the Bible is, is that the Bible corrects some of our intuitions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and so, so, you know, I, I would, I would encourage you to, to keep studying, which I know you are, right? So, mm -hmm. which I, which I appreciate about you. Um, here, I would just go back and say, okay, imagine the atheist though, that comes and says, okay, but but I have this intuition that that God wouldn't wouldn't you know uh, you know create humans just to rain down fire and sulfur on them in judgment, right? I, I have this intuition that an all good God wouldn't do that, and you're gonna mm -hmm. say yeah, but but in the Bible God did that, 
right? What do you do with them? Like, what, how do you answer that type of intuition? Here, I'm going to when you say, I, I just have this intuition that they're all good. God wouldn't wouldn't create someone for that outcome. And I'm saying, okay, but we have biblical examples of it, right? We we have biblical example where where God tells us the reason why I raised Pharaoh up, the reason why I created him is so I can judge him and condemn him. So I understand that rubs against our intuitions, but I'm going to say, okay, but, but I'm going to go with what God has revealed about these things, even if it rubs against some of my intuitions the wrong way. Um, and, and I'm going to have to update some of those intuitions and try to understand how that works. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm of the strain that's going to say, I think it's more appropriate to moderate and to alter our intuitions and rather than say, okay, well, now I need to reinterpret the Bible, the biblical data and the passages, and, and maybe I need to do away with inerrancy, and maybe I need to do away with inspiration, because my inspiration, my, my, my intuition is rock solid, right? There, there's, there's kind of a, a tension that happens in different theological schools of that. I'm of the theological school that's going to say, well, if it's, if, if, it's, if it's biblical doctrine, and biblical truth versus my intuition, my intuition should give in. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's where, that's where I would, that's where I would go with something like that. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I think, it, I, I think if like the biblical text was super clear, then I'd probably like agree with you, Tyler. The problem is at least like, obviously, you know, like we could debate all the, well, you destroy me because I don't know the passages nearly as well as you do. Like we talk about all these passages at least like the way I see it, like it's kind of a wash. Like there's people that come to different conclusions. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't know here. And you know, like then we get into a debate about what is the Bible teaching and you know, so we don't need right. to get into that. Um, do you have anything else you want to add with like the problem of like hell? And then I'd love to talk about like what value there is for God in creating a world like this um, to wrap things up here. Do you have anything you want to add before we go to that? Uh, I mean, the, the, the only thing is that I would say is, well, it seems to me that, that if, that if God, well, not if God created hell, Again, whether or not, you know, I'm going to push back and say any Orthodox Christian understanding of creation, I think already, you know, I, I would push back and say, you know, re reflect on what we talked about, about creation, because the instant mm -hmm. God has decreed to create this world and not some other world, he's determined which people are going to exist, which means he's also determined what their outcomes are going to be, right? Because because he's determined this world and not some other world, right? So, so I, I would push back and say, I think just even not the Calvinism determinism question, just kind of an orthodox understanding of creation theology may kind of push you into, into kind of reevaluating some of those intuitions. But the other thing that I would say is that I think that one of the things that, that ought to happen when we consider hell, and, and I think that this is, this is the point, again, I'm going to go back to Romans 9 because I think this, is just the, this just is the passage that talks about this, is that, that, is that where Paul says, okay, the potter has the right over to clay, can make the object for common use, the object for, for, for honorable use. And he, and he comes up, he, he gives this hypothetical. He says, well, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with great patience objects of wrath prepared to destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of glory upon objects of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for destruction. Right? And so, so Paul's saying, okay, you know, first of all, who are you to answer back to God, oh man, right? The the, the one who's saying, um, you know, how, how are we still at fault for, if we can't resist his will? His first response is, who are you to answer back to God, oh man, right? But then he says, okay, the the potter, imagine this potter who's making two, who's, who's making out the same lump, right? 
vessels for honorable use, vessels for dishonorable use, right? Vessels in his covenant, vessels that will be judged by the covenant, right? Mm-hmm. He's made the he's made these two things. He's made them. He's determined their uses. He's determined their outcomes. He's determined that, right? And he has the right. And he, and he starts to imagine kind of, a, a, you know, inspired but sanctified imagination where he says, well, why would God do that? Why would God create specifically these vessels for destruction, right? Because because he's, he says they're vessels which are uh, which are prepared beforehand for destruction, right? The intent in making them was to destroy them. And, mm-hmm. he, 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 you know, I, I kind of imagine Paul, he's kind of the sanctified imagination. Well, why would God do that? Right. And the answer that he, he gives kind of in this, this, you know, sanctified imagination is that, well, what, what if he did it to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of mercy, which he prepared beforehand? Right. These two things he prepared beforehand. What if he made these ones to be destroyed so that his glory and his love and his mercy and his grace and all that kind of can shine for the vessels of mercy. Think about it. How would we know that God is loving, merciful, gracious, that, that Christ would die for his people if there were not those, if people were not condemned to hell, right? So if God's plan is to show and to be glorified for these things and to be in a loving relationship with people who are redeemed, what has to be the initial condition for that to happen? So yeah, right. let's get in because I think this kind of leads well into the like the last question that I, yeah. like at least when I think about this, Tyler. So I appreciate you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, so I've had it so a lot of fun. So we have a few more minutes, and this is the question of like, all right. So let's say like, why would God create this world like in a Calvinist view, view of things? Because we think about God. Um, in a sense, he's he's going to determine everything. Um, maybe allow like allowing for like compatibilism. Um, so choices there. Like I understand that. Um, so like, why this world with people condemned to hell? Like this is getting exactly like why I interrupted you because it gets exactly into what you're talking about here. But like, surely God could create a world where everyone's in heaven and like given determinate like a, a Calvinist view. Like this doesn't seem like a problem at all. Um, like we don't. So like, why this world then? Like it's just like it seems like to me like. You know, once again, my intuitions here, like God could have created everyone in heaven, like in a Calvinist view, and we wouldn't have these people in hell. And, you know, so like why this world? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts, Tyler? Yeah. So I would push back and say that's not a question specifically for Calvinism. Right. That, mm-hmm. That's a question for, for all Christians that, that they have to. Right. So on any view, why didn't God skip all this and just go straight to heaven? Mm hmm. Right? No, I agree. And I think we're all going to give the same answer, although I think a Calvinist can say it a little bit more uh, boldly, right? We don't we don't have to mumble it so much because, you know, we have, you know, we, we can, we, we just proclaim it. Why did God create it? Because it's what he wanted to create. Because whatever God desires to accomplish, he accomplishes. Because whatever God wants to do, he does. Right. But I mean, this is this is just the consistent witness of Scripture that whatever whatever God desires from his rule and reign in heaven, whatever he plans, whatever he declares will happen. Right. Remember that the test, the test in Isaiah of the false prophets. Right. Declare to us what is to come. Right. And and God comes back and, you know, there's all these tests and God come back and says, well, well, how do you know that that I that I'm Yahweh? Because I decree the ends from the beginning. Right. I'm I'm the author. I'm the one writing the book from cover to cover. What happens in the story is because I wrote it that way, 
right? So th there's a certain sense where I'm going to say, we know exactly the answer as a Calvinist, right? I know exactly why all this stuff happens because, because God is the author. God, God is, God is the ruler. God is the creator. God is the King. We are not right. So in a certain sense, I'm going to say that if you ask then the further question of specifically what were God's reasons that he wanted this specific thing, this specific world, that's now where I'm going to get into what we said earlier, which is asking me why God wants something or does something. I mean, I think we have some biblical, some biblical data, right, that we can kind of hold in our hands and say, okay, well, you know, you know, God's glory is one thing, you know, God, God's, you know, God's goodness is one thing, uh, to, to have a people for himself is one thing, right? There, soul building might be something, right? You might maybe, you know, morally, uh, you know, you might have, might have, again, might have certain goods. I, I think it's a good to glorify God for his grace mm -hmm. and his mercy. How, how do I, how do we experience, how does it manifest the intrinsic good of God's mercy and grace? If there isn't a world with sin and fall and, and death and right. So you know, I think Tyler, have it right. So I think yeah. I agree with you on most of what you're saying, but then yeah. I, like, I still have this wonder of like, well, why not universalism then? Like, it seems like given Calvinism, like, I'm like, well, why can't we have all that? And then also just like universalism or like some sort of reconciliation, if it's ultimately God, um, who's, who's kind of like, um, electing people or like, yeah. um, or things like that. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would go back and say again, I, I'm not sure that's a Calvinist specific problem, right? On Arminianism or provisionism or Lutheranism or Catholic. Why, why can't God just snap his fingers um, and universalism be true? Right. Okay. And, and, and this is where, this is actually where Calvinism does come in, right? Because the Calvinist is going to say, well, the atonement, right? This is a common misconception about Calvinists. Calvinists don't say the death of Christ didn't do anything for the entire, for every single person in the entire world, right? We do, right? But what we say is the atonement in the sense of Jesus as the, the substitutionary atonement, the forgiveness of sins was only for his people, right? So we have no problem saying, well, the reason why we're not universalists is because there's no substitutionary atonement for those who, who are not his people, right? J J Jesus came and he knew his sheep. The Pharisees weren't his sheep. He says, you're not my sheep. Get away from me, right? So so he, he knew his sheep. He died for his sheep. He laid down his life for his sheep right? Um, you know, husbands were to love our, our, our you know, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church. Should I love, you know, and offer myself to all women and all who come? Well, no, I have a very specific love for, for one person, right? So, so you know, we, we have all these biblical examples. I would actually say the reason why, you know, a Calvinist doesn't go to universalism is because we would say, well, I mean, the, the substitutionary atonement was only for God's people. I would push back and say, well, why isn't universalism the case on provisionism or Arminianism or, you know, all these other views, where the atonement, the substitutionary atonement was for every single person. Technically, on a bunch of these views, everyone's forgiven, right? If you if you talk to Leighton Flowers and other provisionists, all sins are forgiven. The only reason someone goes to hell is because they've rejected Jesus, right? I mean, I, I have the question of, well, was that sin not forgiven? Um, but so, you know, was not all sin forgiven? That, that one is exempted from forgiveness, but everybody's forgiven. So, so the person who believes in Jesus is just as forgiven as the person suffering wrath and hell on that view. All of their sins have been forgiven. The only difference is one believes and one doesn't. So the question is, 
why can't God, why hell, why hell on those views, right? Why is God pouring out wrath on anyone in hell if wrath is for their sin as a penalty for their sin, but their sins are forgiven? So what wrath is left, right? So, so I would push back and say, I mean, I think Calvinism actually answers this one better because we can explain why there is still wrath for those suffering judgment. I think some of these other views that, that held to like a universal view have a much harder time explaining that. Well, that's about all the time we have, Tyler. Um, so I really appreciate you. It's been so much fun. I re I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm really grateful for you um, for dealing with my random thoughts and whatnot. Um, oh, do you have anything wonderful. like any, any kind of last thoughts, things you want to say before we wrap things up here, Tyler? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would just say, you know, I, I think these these conversations are 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 very important. I think they're, you know, they're hard conversations. Um, I, I think we should try to be as, as charitable and, and, and understanding as as possible. Um, that doesn't mean we, you know, a lot of people have debated me and they get very angry um, because I have no problem being very, very firm in my beliefs, very firm in my con con uh, convictions. But I try very hard to never be insulting to people. I try very hard to to, to not, you know, uh, to, you know, to not put people down or name call or anything like that. People get very, uh, very, very passionate about these things and that's okay. Um, but I think we should still try to do this in, in, in a Christ-like manner as much as we possibly can. Um, even if sometimes, you know, you know, we, we look at some people and say, Ooh, I think that one is maybe outside of, uh, of the bounds of orthodoxy. Um, we, we still should do this, you know, in a spirit of, of kindness and gentleness, uh, and, and charity to each other. And a lot of times that charity comes across in just trying to understand, the other person's view as they hold it and not confusing someone's evaluation of a view with what the view actually is. Um, so a lot of confusion can be done away from uh, if that, if that specific error uh, isn't made. So um, yeah, so, but I, I think having these important, uh, these, these discussions is, is, is very, very important and, and very beneficial. And obviously touch on touches on everything from biblical theology to ministry, to, to, to philosophy, to apologetics. I mean, there, it, it touches on so many things. So it's very, very important. Yeah, I appreciate this conversation because it's given me a lot more clarity, like thinking about these things. And I've definitely been learning things. And I'm sure hopefully when you talk to people that disagree with you, Tyler, you, you get similar things. It's really helpful to just kind of understand everything that's going on. Um, so I really enjoyed this conversation, Tyler. Um, so yeah, how can people like follow you or anything like that? Um, and we'll wrap up here. Yeah. Um, so the, one of the best ways is to go to uh, the Freed Thinker uh, group page on Facebook. That's where I post pretty much all, all, all the social media that I'm on, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, my YouTube is mostly geared towards apologetics. It's not really geared towards kind of these biblical theological in-house discussions. Um, but if you want to see some more of the apologetics, that, that, that's on the YouTube channel. I have a bunch of debates that are up there um, as well. Um, or you can go to the blog, uh, freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot. Uh, dot com and kind of see all the the back catalog there. Uh, the podcast is up pretty much anywhere where you can get uh, any any podcast material. It's 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 there as well. So, uh, but the best place to go find it is uh, the group page on Facebook. That's where kind of the hub of where everything gets posted. Yeah. Well, Tyler, it's been so much fun. I encourage people to check you out. Um, lots of great content. Um, so I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you to um, Plantinga's Bulldog, Kelvy, Beowulf, Jono, everyone else who tuned in. Um, it's been so much fun. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Hopefully you found something like edifying and useful out of this. Um, I learned a lot. So I'm very grateful. And yeah, if you enjoyed the channel, be sure to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you like the channel, you can support us at Patreon.com. Just here in Apologetics for as little as a dollar a month. Um, you can do a yearly subscription as well. That also helps a lot. Um, but yeah, so one last time, Tyler, thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate your time. Good, good, very good, insightful questions. I appreciate it. I love the that we just got the matching, um, like we whatever do. this was. This makes me like feel like I have to accept Calvinism, like because like how does how is this possible if it's you got you got you got to get a you got to get a beard in. <laughs> it doesn't so it doesn't connect here. So I just feel stupid whenever I grow out my facial hair. So that's, that's all right. There's there's lots of reformers that have had weird beard styles. The style I guess doesn't that's matter. Why I... <laughs> got to be there. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, but thank you everyone for tuning in. Wish you the best. Um, and God bless.